Hello, and welcome to the Nick Chats podcast. My name is Beth Mace, and I'm Nick's chief economist. Thank you for joining us today. The focus of the Nick's Chats podcast is talking to interesting people that I think you'd really like to hear from. As you listen today, I hope you'll find some humor, some insights, inspiration, and hopefully what I call an aha moment, when a light bulb may go off, and you'll go, and your light bulb light bulb may go off for you and you'll come away with something inspirational. Let me tell you a bit about today's structure of the event. First, I'm going to tell you three statements about each of my guests. Two of those statements will be true and one will be false. Throughout the podcast, you'll learn which is true and which is false. Second, there are three standard questions with each, each podcast. The first is, what's the largest challenge facing our industry? The second What's one thing to grow talent in our industry? And third, what's an innovative idea on how to strengthen our industry? Now, as I say, let's get on with the show. So I'm delighted that I have two guests today uh, for our Nick Chats podcast. And I want to just mention that we are broadcasting live from the Nick Fall Conference here in Washington, D.C. at the Marriott Marquis. My first guest is Steve Kennedy who is the Executive Managing Director from Viam Capital. My second guest is Allison Lemley. She's a Managing Director and the Chief Underwriter also for Viam Capital. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. So as I mentioned, I have three statements about Steve, two are true and one is false, <laughs> and also three about Allison, two are true and one is false. So for Steve, we'll find out again if these are true or false. Um, are you a scratch golfer and the top golfer at Viam Capital? Don't tell me yet. <laughs> Do you have a house in Columbus, Ohio, that was once the home of a former Ohio State Buckeye football coach who won a national championship? Hmm. Hmm. Could be. Or did you go to the same undergraduate university as Steve Carroll and Jennifer Garner? Don't tell. Okay. Okay. And for Allison, have you, in fact, visited all 50 states? Or have you ever never seen any of the Star Wars films? Or... If you weren't doing the job you're doing at Viam Capital right now, would you actually open a sandwich shop that would be called Between the Slices? Mm. So stay tuned and we'll find out. So as I start, Steve, you and Cass Matt launched Viam Capital um, in April 2020. Good timing, right after the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> um, and uh, with the goal of becoming a premier leader in financing the senior housing and care industry. If I understand correctly, you provide permanent financing through FHA and HUD, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, as well as proprietary bank bridge financing. In your first two and a half years, you have closed 115 transactions, totaling about $3 billion, including funding for 250, 250 separate projects across 27 states. So as an executive manager director of Viam, what else would you like our audience to know about? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Um, I mean, it's been a wild two and a half years. I mean, we literally launched on, I would say, April Fool's Day at the beginning of a pandemic. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and that, that, wasn't, that wasn't intentional necessarily. It was sort of a long time in the making. But uh, fortunately, you know, the, the partners, the, the six partners, we've worked together for over a decade. Uh, you know, we, I think that's unique, you know, for a lender <laughs> in our space. And we focus exclusively on this space, skilled nursing, assisted living, memory care, independent living. Um, but probably what's most unique uh, about our company, the way we were formed, our minority partner is a, is a niche bank out of the Midwest. 
And it was a bank that was created for nothing more than to provide bridge loans for HUD takeout. But they were a multifamily shop. They still are. But they wanted to get into healthcare. We knew healthcare. We never had a balance sheet before. And so we've really been able to use that to, you know, provide relatively quick, cost-effective financing for our clients. And it's it's uh, it's catapulted a, a a lot quicker of a growth than we would have initially anticipated. So how does that work to have a balance sheet? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of times, you know, an acquisition that a that a buyer is going to make, you know, we'd love to fund that through HUD. Uh, but at the end of the day, HUD's a long process. You know, it's going to take six, nine months to get a HUD deal closed. And so a, a, a direct loan from our bank partner allows us to execute typically within 60-ish days. Oh, that's fast. Which, as a buyer, you need. If you're the seller, you're not going to wait around for nine months to get a HUD deal done. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Um, and what does uh, Viam offer that your competitors don't? Yeah, you know... I think a few things. Uh, obviously, a lot of HUD lenders uh, do not have a direct balance sheet, so we do. We also closed a debt fund uh, earlier this year, and what that does is that, that allows us to provide non-recourse, largely bridge loans. Oh, you must which, be popular. Yes, popular with the right, <laughs> the right crowd. And so that's been uh, that's been a nice augmentation of our offering. And um, uh, but at the end of the day, we're just trying to listen to what our clients need and try to make sure we're structuring capital in a way that that meets their needs, but is also, you know, uh, clears the market and provides, you know, us an appropriate return and allows us to grow the business the way we want to. Have you had a change, um, sort of processes or anything in the last six months with the change in interest rates? Yeah, good question. I mean, between interest rates, obviously, uh, inflationary pressures, uh, you know, these, these different, uh, Medicaid rate increases in various states. There's, right. there's a lot of noise in right. the income statement, and so I, have, have we had to change anything? I, I don't think necessarily, but we are being, I think, even more disciplined than we were about making sure that we're putting on bridge loans that have a, a very clear line of sight to HUD, Fannie, or Freddie takeout. Ah, uh, okay. Very good. So, Allison, you joined Volume Capital, uh, I think, just recently in January of 2022. I did. I did. And you've been the chief underwriter, I think, at a lot of organizations, Lumet, um, Oryx, Red Capital. So you have a combined experience of underwriting of over 15 years. So what does that entail to be the chief underwriter at at Volume right now? Yeah, so it's been a really exciting year for me professionally after joining Volume and um, leaving my predecessor organization I'd been with for 15 years. Um, but it, I knew it was an opportunity that I wanted to take um, just because it was a chance to reunite with some individuals that I'd worked with previously who not only did I respect, but I, I really feel like they were market leaders in the sector. So, you know, my role within within Viam is working with our, you know, working with our team to drive business forward, ensuring we are underwriting to, you know, a top quality credit standard. And and working with our partners at Merchants and HUD. Um, So, you know, besides me, we've got a really strong analytical pool. They're really tasked with, you know, screening transactions, processing, closing um, under my guidance. And it's it's a critical role, I think, to have at Viam, not only from a HUD compliance standpoint, obviously, but you know, it's it's building that credit relation or that credit reputation that's going to help us drive business going forward. And same question for you. So, how has the world changed in terms of underwriting <laughs> in the last six months? I 
you know, the last two years, it's been a, an amazing evolution. Um, to Steve's point, I think, I think I would probably say that when the pandemic started, nobody thought it would last as long as it has. So, you know, when we first started, it was getting through those initial days, kind of un- trying to understand the uncertainty. But, you know, with, with uh, continued pressures on uh, labor costs and occupancy, while still starting to improve, being slower than we thought it, it's just a kind of continuing evolution that we're always kind of working to wrap our arms around. Well, fair enough. So let me do one of the true-false questions with you, Alice. Oh, great. <laughs> so have you, in fact, uh, never seen any of the Star Wars movies? That is true. Really? That is true. <laughs> so I am an only child. I had no brothers or sisters. And uh, my mom was not a Star Wars fan. So I just never saw them. I had an opportunity older to see a few minutes. And I, I think I missed the bow entirely <laughs> on it being interesting. So have never made it through any of them. Well, my claim to fame on that front <laughs> would be I've never seen a I've never seen Jaws. Whoa, my goodness. And I go to Cape Cod a lot. So actually, that was a good thing that I never saw Jaws. (laughs) I'm very glad I never saw Jaws, Uh, though. Great. So, Steve, where do you see Viam in the next uh, five years? Where are you going? Yeah, I think we're pretty confident that uh, we are focused on being the number one HUD senior living lender. Uh, At our predecessor firm, we were for, I think, seven of the last eight years that our partners were there. Uh, We have a platform and most importantly, the people to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, our partnership is, it's unique. It's, it, we kind of say we, we were really forged in fire uh, as, we, as we built this company. You know, launching a company at that time, uh, it, the good news is it, it brings you even closer together than, than you might otherwise yeah, be. I bet. And, uh, and it's a company we really build on trust. Uh, and so, so I, we feel confident about that vision. Uh, we, you know, from a production standpoint, I think within five years, being able to consistently produce over $2 billion of annual production is realistic. Uh, you know, this first half, uh, we've, I think we closed $1.3 billion. We closed $300 million in transactions the last two months. Wow. And so, so we're, we're already there. And I think that's a realistic goal as far as what we can ultimately get into HUD. Uh, and also being the leading lender from an advocacy, advocacy perspective. And, and what I mean there is, you know, we are so tied to the government as a public private really partnership. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's important for us to not just sort of wait and, and be led, but to lead. And so we made a big investment by having Scott Tittle, the former head right. of NCAL, yep. the former head of uh, Indiana healthcare association. He worked very closely. Yeah, we interviewed Park him Parkinson. last year. That's right. Yeah, right. He's mm-hmm. a much smoother and polished than I, <laughs> uh, but he is, uh, I think he's, he personifies, what we need to be in the industry. And so I, I, I'm, I'm bullish oh, on us great. taking that position. Okay. So I want to do a truth or not truth with you right now. So um, is it true or false that you went to the same undergraduate university as actor Steve Carroll and Jennifer Garner? It's true. Oh. I'm a graduate of Denison University, a fine a great school, yeah? great school <laughs> in, uh, in Ohio. And uh, yeah, Steve Carell, Jennifer Garner, just had to give a little props to uh, <laughs> Denison University. And that's where I met my wife. Oh, very nice. Uh, and that's where my brother went. So oh. we, we have strong ties to, to Denison. That's awesome. That's great. So in your crystal ball, uh, what do you view as opportunities and challenges ahead for Viam? Well, for, for Viam, I, I think it's remaining, remaining disciplined. You know, capital's not unlimited. Right. And us continuing to be creative on how we fund our projects. And, and ultimately, you know, I, I think our team, we've got a really, 
we have good people that want to, they always want to say yes to help out their client. Uh, but we need to continue to be disciplined of when we say yes and yeah. structure deals that are right for us, right for them, but ultimately have that goal of executing through HUD, Fannie and Freddie, because that's really that's where we build our enterprise value. If you're a company like Viam Capital. So when might you say no? We say no a lot. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we, we, we kind of stick to our lane. We're, we're not doing huge turnaround deals. Uh, our deals are always covering over one times debt service coverage out of the gate. Yeah. That's a quicker line of sight. To yeah, permanent yeah, yeah. execution. We're not doing new construction right now other than, you know, if it's through HUD, uh, we'll partner with other banks and, and finance companies that do that. That's more in their bailiwick. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really not in ours. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of times we'll say no, but hopefully we're not just saying no. We're saying not this, but here's right. how we can get there. And at most of your clients, um, relationships that you had a long time or you, how do you bring in someone new? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, we're fortunate that the six partners over a decade, you know, you, you <clears throat> develop really important relationships and all over the country. You know, a lot of us did work in the Midwest. Yeah. Scott Blunt's, Blunt's down in our Austin office. Tony's yeah. down in Florida. Um, but we also have a different platforms. We've been able to roll that out. And, you know, newsflash, the first year we were around, a lot of capital providers pressed pause, but we they leaned did. in yeah. and we were able to secure some great clients we had never worked with who were looking for a balance sheet and looking for sort of a new partner to work with. Great. Okay. So um, let's talk a little bit about ESG and uh, a DEI. What's going on with Viam with the, on those initiatives? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is, is uh, I, I'd say it's at the foundation of what we're doing. And when we decided to build the culture and the team, uh, we're doing, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's funny the, the way I, the way I met merchants, our capital partner out of Indiana, uh, I'd actually competed against them back in the day doing 202 refis and they were a great shop, but I never had much of a relationship. But shortly after I joined the board of Cristo Ray Columbus high school, uh, they learned about that and they opened up and huh. now jump forward we have a Cristo Ray team at Viam, oh, yeah. uh, Samir and, and Zandra are uh-huh. our two students this year. After Moses and Arroyo were here last year. Uh, but Merchants also is on the board at Providence Cristo Ray in Indianapolis and has a Cristo Ray team. So I say that if you don't know about Cristo Ray, it's, it's in Columbus, it's the most diverse high school. It's all students that are extremely talented, but they come from uh, uh, socioeconomic uh, challenge backgrounds. Yep, and yep. They're, they're oftentimes first college students. So I, I just share that from a DEI perspective. It's really important to what we're doing and, and, uh, and what we'll continue to do. That's great. Okay. So now we're going to switch a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit more about personal stories and how, how you both got to where you are today. So, Allison, let's start with you. Talk, talk a little bit about your career path and any lessons that you could tell to you know, younger women or younger men as well on, on sort of how to get to the position that you've achieved yeah, sure. So, you know, when when I look at uh, individuals, men and women who are finishing up school, um, we're having conversations with them, looking at resumes. I, I just continue to be impressed with their focus, their determination, and just kind of a general understanding of knowing what they want to do as they enter the workforce. That was not me, not at all. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, I say when I finished school uh, at, at Case Western, the only thing I knew for sure is where I wanted to be geographically. Um, so I was fortunate enough to make some connections uh, at National City 
uh, because they were based out of Cleveland and, and started in their retail uh, banking development program. I was there a little less than two years, still sort of unsure of what I wanted to do, but I absolutely knew for sure that retail banking was not for me. <laughs> um, one of the things that happened during that time, though, is National City acquired another bank called Provident, of which Red Capital was a subsidiary. Uh, uh, I was able to meet some individuals at Red Capital. And again, not 100% sure that that's what I wanted to do, but I was really engaged and interested in the organization. I love their culture, and I just felt like it was somewhere that would be a good fit for me. Um, so it was an interesting time to fall into there. Uh, I started not long before the 2008 housing crisis, uh, really when FHA started to blow up and you know, to a tremendous amount of volume. <laughs> yes. Um, and it was right around the start of the lean program. Uh, so that's really where my start in the industry began. So, you know, looking at my experience, you know, I, the advice I tell people um, is that it's OK not to know where you want to be right out the gate. Um, but it's really important to look look at opportunities that may be outside of what you thought you were going to do. Um, I always say that if, if I could speak to my college self now and say, this is where you end up, I, I don't know if I would have believed it, but you know, it's been an incredible journey for me and one without a whole lot of regret. Yeah. Uh, I would agree with you. I would agree with everything. Be open <laughs> for opportunity, be open for change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Steve, what career lessons uh, would you want to share with our audience? Yeah, I, I think Allison hit it really well. And I, I think just being open mm -hmm. to whatever opportunities in front of you and completely engaging yourself in that opportunity and not prejudging, uh, that's, that's kind of been probably the story of both of us. Yeah. You know, none of us, ne neither of us graduating from college said, I want to be in senior housing <laughs> and healthcare finance. <laughs> but now that we've embraced it, we realize what, what, a, what an awesome opportunity, what a great population to serve from a demographic perspective, from an economic perspective, there, there's so much positive, but it's also complicated. Yeah. But that, you know, complication, not having it easy, it creates an opportunity. If you've got some grit and you have some savvy and you have a good platform and you're with good people, it's actually really create a good business. Yeah. And Allison, for you seniors... As a, why? <laughs> well, I'd like to say there was some magic to how I landed into that, but it's really more timing and less intentional. I mean, I, I touched on it. I started at Red Capital at a really interesting time when FHA was just doing so much volume and it was right around the start of the lean program. I think that was my first major um, professional I don't know, home run for me, because what that, that did is it it sort of leveled the playing field between myself and some of my peers who maybe had some more professional experience yeah. than I did, because we were all learning this sort of new program together. And the thing I loved about it is I was always, um, it was always interesting. I never felt bored and I've continued to stay there for, for all the reasons that Steve said. And just from a professional standpoint, it's, it's given me so many opportunities that there really hasn't been a need to pivot from, yeah. from where I'm at. No, well, I've been in senior housing for about 25 years and I have to say, I love it. I always have loved it and it continually evolves. Yeah. And it's sort of exciting. We're finally almost at that point, we've all been waiting for for so long that the baby boomers are almost here to move. <laughs> right. Not quite, but, you know, we've been talking about yeah. that, I can promise you, for a really long time. And it's changing and the industry is changing. And, um, you know, the, the whole product type is maturing. And yeah. you, know, you have luxury and you have middle income and you have lots of different focuses and wellness is becoming more important and healthcare. So it's a really interesting. It's completely dynamic. Absolutely. So it's been really fun for me. 
So um, let's continue on that in terms of your view on senior housing. So, um, Allison, where, where do you think, what are you most optimistic about the sector or any concerns you have from your, from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll let Steve be the glass half full person and I'll speak to some of the challenges. And I just think it's going to be really important to ensure that the HUD and, and GSC portfolios remain strong from a performance standpoint. Um, on the HUD side, it's the portfolio generally has always performed relatively well, and they were and and that performance has allowed them to weather a lot of the challenges of the pandemic. HUD would say, you know, it was their underwriting criteria that helped them to do so, um, but they haven't been unimpacted for sure, right? Yeah. And you're starting to see debt service coverage is tighter than probably they've been historically. Um, so you know, it's just going to be really important for lenders to ensure that we're bringing in strong borrowers, strong credit good performing assets to the portfolios just to ensure their continued uh, success. And Steve, opportunities, challenges in the industry? Yeah, I love that. Uh, Allison's, <laughs> she's like the realist, and that's important. For the yin and the yang, right? <laughs> exactly. It's the underwriter and the originator. <laughs> no, I mean, there's challenges, but opportunities. Um, I mean, I think you just mentioned like affordable assisted living. Are you kidding me? That opportunity? That, that is a need. You're not kidding. And it's, and it's a need yeah. that states want solved, you know, uh, it's a need that senior citizens want solved. And you talk about creative finance when you get tax credits involved and Medicaid waivers and it's state by state. We've done a lot of work in Illinois, the supportive living facility yeah, they, program. They do a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. It's fabulous. The SLIF, right? Yeah. The yeah. SLIF program. Uh, Ohio, you know, it looks like they may have a house resolution uh, this 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 next year that could re- that, that may open up some stuff. And Indiana seen a, seen a similar thing. So, uh, you know, we've, I think that's a big opportunity and it's one we want to be positioned to, to help, help really lead in. I'm really glad to hear that because <laughs> Nick is doing a lot of focus on middle income and what we call the forgotten middle. Right. Yeah. And anything we can do to help financing that. The operational side is one set of issues, but financing yeah. it is, is certainly another set. Yes. So um, uh, let's go to some of our standard questions. So what do you think is one of the largest challenges facing our industry? Steve, I'd say political climate. Oh, okay. um, you know, it's no matter where you are, if you're down the middle, if you're Republican, if you're Democrat, I think our position and Scott Tittle's been great at just educating us on this is that not having any one party in charge of all branches of government <laughs> is 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 a good thing. You want balance. Right. Because if no matter which party, if there's if there's full control on one side or the other, that that can that can uh, that can be a threat to what we're doing, and so uh, you know, political climate is something that I, I just think is is something we we watch and we can't necessarily influence, but we want to be cognizant of. Yeah, very good, Allison. Any thoughts in terms of uh, a big challenge facing the industry? Um, you know, I I would I would piggyback off of what Steve has said. I mean, it's. Uh, something that Scott talks to us a ton about, and uh, we're just constantly focused on that. Yeah, so it seems like that's a differentiator, actually, for Viam. Yeah. You guys are so plugged into sort of the Washington scene and knowing what's going on and then figuring out how to, how to sort of reshape yourself. Yes. Reconfigure yourself. To be, depending I think, on what's I going think on. in Washington and then also all state capitals. I mean, we're such a local business. You know, Medicaid's different in every state. Uh, affordable assisted living is different in every state. And so, so being tapped in with, you know, the local ACA and Cal chapters and other state associations is, is important. I look at some of the underwriting we do in Indiana. IGT UPL is different. 
than the Quip program in Texas. And having that localized knowledge also gives our investors and our fund comfort that, hey, this is a little bit of a outside the core real estate market, but Viam's dialed in, they know what's going on, and they can best judge those risks when underwriting. And and that's tremendously helpful from a HUD perspective as well, right? right. You know, HUD is relying on us to provide that expertise. And when we can pull that information that we have and the experts along with us, it allows us to work through transactions that would be much more challenging um, because they can rely on that expertise that we have. Oh, that's 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 great. Okay, so um, what would be an innovative idea can be all over the map in terms of how to strengthen our industry? Probably kind of double down on affordable assisted living and, and looking at construction cost increases and other inflationary pressures. There are existing assets that can be repurposed and make sense for affordable assisted living. It's not all of them. They have to fit. But, but repurposing and, and, and having that low basis of an existing property, uh, we, we, we think there's, that, that's got to be part of the story rather than just new construction, which needs to be part of it. Uh, but we need to tap into our existing infrastructure uh, as well. Yeah. So if, if you look at the overall cost for property, about 60% of that is is labor expenses. Right. So that limits to some degree what you can, can do. Have you heard of any sort of innovative ideas on how to att- uh, sort of address some of the challenges in the labor market? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you're, you're seeing a lot of um, different operators trying to think um, outside the box. So you know, it's looking at finding individuals and doing these training programs where you can bring in um, staff and, you know, offer them opportunities to uh, develop themselves professionally. And then you have a feeder for those right. employees that you are just not being able to capture externally. I, I think that's been something that, you know, depending upon who you speak with, have various levels of success. But for those that do, it, it's been very impactful to them. Yeah. And I tell you, somebody who's caught my eye over the last couple of years in, in, in this industry is, is care Charles Turner, mm. the company he's building, like thinking, thinking about s- stuff in a different way. But we need that. We need those thought leaders. Yeah, some of it's going to land. Some of it's not going to land. But um, anyway, when you asked that question, that's one of the first people I thought about. That's interesting. Okay. So let's go back to our truths and not truths, truths and lies, so to speak. And Steve, so true or false? That you have a house in uh, Columbus, Ohio, that was once a former Ohio Buckeye football coach who won a national championship. It is true. There's not much oh. interesting about me. <laughs> and so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> we live in the former home of, of Jim Tressel. If you're an Ohio State yeah, fan, yeah, yeah. you usually like wow. Jim Tressel. So <laughs> he lived there in 2002 when the Buckeyes won their first national championship in about 40 years. And our door knocker is a bronze to Buckeye leaf oh. he was given after oh. winning the uh, the national championship. He didn't want that? I, was didn't I, want think, that. I think he forgot it. Oh, <laughs> oh I hope he's not listening. <laughs> I, I, I hope so, too. <laughs> All right, so does that make that you were, are you a scratch golfer? And are you, are you top golf, top golfer? I'm at, not. I'm, uh, I'm not the top golfer. Our top golfer would be one of our uh, analysts, Garrett Brickley. And I met Garrett. He was caddying for me. Oh, you're kidding. And then he was an accounting background, an Ohio kid. He played uh, sort of semi-professionally. And then he reached out when he found out that we were launching Viam. And he was professionally persistent through LinkedIn. And we reconnected. But he's like a plus three. He's a great golfer. Oh. And, he, and he's, a, he's, a, he's a great, great person. Yeah, so one of the takeaways then is tenacity and persistence on LinkedIn 
I know a lot of Appreciate younger people it. that Absolutely. are doing that right now. I think, it's, I think it's appropriate, a, appropriate professional. Yeah. Is, it it, yeah. it makes sense. Okay. That's great. Okay. Allison, um, if you could, would you actually open a sandwich shop that would be called Between the Slices? It would be called Between Two Slices. Oh, sorry. Between Two Slices. <laughs> and yes, so I'm a bit of a sandwich snob, mm-hmm. and I will go to places and critique. And my husband a while ago said, you should just open up your own if you think you're better than everybody else. <laughs> and so that started my mind. Mm-hmm. So definitely that would be mm-hmm. what, what I would Any do. Any favorite sandwich in particular? Ah, uh, You can't pick and choose. Oh. I'm a big grilled cheese type yeah. fan. So those gourmet mm-hmm. ones are exceptional. Mm-hmm. I love that. I just learned how to make a homemade tomato soup that you put little bits of oh, grilled cheese in there. Crouton. Yes, as a crouton. <laughs> so there you go. We do, we do have an analyst. His name is Paul Beat. We call him Pete because Pete Beat just sounds yeah, yeah. great <laughs> and he is a meatball sub guy and he has a list of in columbus ohio one oh. through 25 top meatball subs wow i hope you <laughs> post so this it is, on the internet yeah this is a volume thing the sandwiches <laughs> it is. It and is. subs maybe you should create a volume sandwich absolutely right i like yeah. it, I like it. <laughs> all right so i guess that would mean that you haven't visited all 50 states but are you trying We're trying. So during the pandemic, uh, as an activity, my kids got one of those state maps and we learned about each state and that just got us sort of excited about the opportunity to visit. And so we've been knocking those off. And if you're looking for cheap vacations, do this activity and then your kids will be excited to go to wherever you find as long as you're ticking them off the map. That's good. So, (laughs) So what's next on the schedule? I don't. So we've hit all of the states around us. So I think we're we're trying to decide where down south we're heading. So, yeah. well, I've been to all 50 states with the exception of Alaska. Mm-hmm. But that's because in my career, I've traveled again and again and again. So I go a lot of places. No so with that, I want to say thank you very much. I really appreciate having time to talk with both of you. Thank you. Beth. And thank you, audience, so much for listening. And until next time, we'll hear you again. Mm-hmm.